0: Remain standing and turn with me now to the Sermon Scripture. You'll find it tonight once again in First Timothy chapter 5. We uh, look at just two verses tonight. Uh, it's a short uh, passage, but it's a complete unit of thought. Um, and Lord willing, we will take up our study two weeks from uh, tonight. Uh, again, in First Timothy 5, after... Uh, the new year. Here now, God's uh, inspired inerrant word, First Timothy five seventeen and eighteen. Let the elders, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word, and doctrine. For the Scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox, while it treads out the grain." And the laborer is worthy of his wages. May God add his blessing now upon his word. You may be seated. There was a book that sat on our bookshelf in our home for many years. I think it was Dr. Laura Schlesinger. Does anybody know that name? I believe it was called The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. Uh, I got a great kick out of that book, reporting all the things to Heather that she should (laughs) know and understand. I could summarize that book for you uh, with two main elements, but because there are young people here tonight, I will (laughs) refrain But all kidding aside, that is where I had to fudge just a little bit about the proper care, I think, and feeding of pastors would actually be quite appropriate (laughs) that we have the treatment of pastors. So let, let us pray now and come to God's word. Father, we thank you for this brief passage, and we pray that you would help us to understand how it is that we are to conduct ourselves in the household of God the pillar of truth in which the God, the living God, dwells by his Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, having uh, taken a look so far in chapter 5 at Paul's uh, teachings to Timothy on the subject first of the treatment of the church's older members, and about the differences between uh, different members as to age and as to gender, and the proper treatment and respect of older uh, men and older women and younger men and younger women. And having more recently considered his rather detailed instructions concerning the care of the church's widows, uh, we turn this evening to the subject of uh, elders and pastors specifically to pastors and their financial support or remuneration. I doubt that any of you list 1 Timothy 5 among your favorite passages in the Bible. I doubt that in your personal devotions, these are the particular verses that cause your heart especially to soar. I've never heard anyone say, my life verse... Uh, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, maybe after this series of sermons, that will change. These passages deal with uh, nuts and bolts issues that are only occasionally of interest to Christians as the situation or need arises. But they are nevertheless important issues, to be sure. The Bible simply does not speak about unimportant things. But admittedly, they are not where most of us live and breathe day by day. So let me suggest this, that our reverence for the word of God is proved, perhaps especially proved, by the attention we pay to the instructions God includes in his book that seem somehow removed from our everyday life. We should remember that our interests, after all, are not the measure of all things, Our interests sometimes need to be raised above the level of our own personal affairs and fixed on the fortunes of the church as a whole. We had a congregational meeting recently. Those of you who attend our congregational meetings know precisely what I mean. You'd probably prefer to spend that hour or hour plus uh, elsewhere, but you understand that it's important because it concerns the affairs and fortunes of the church. And you care about that. And you believe you should be a part of that. Anyway, sooner or later, everything we are taught in the Bible will prove to be very important. Even those routine and mundane things, as we might call them. I serve in Rocky Mountain Presbytery on perhaps the most mundane Of all committees, and that's because I'm the recording clerk and have been so since my ordination 13 years ago. It's the administrative committee of Presbytery. It's not at all exciting. Uh, I don't think a meeting of Presbytery in 13 years has gone by that the chairman, who is a dear friend, did not say in prayer, Lord, these are mundane matters that we are dealing with, but they are matters of importance to your church. And therefore, they matter to us, uh, because they matter to your church. These verses, I think, uh, are like that. Having already spoken on the matter of qualifications, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 7, Paul moves on to discuss uh, the pastor's pay, uh, his financial support, and next he will discuss their discipline, uh, should it be necessary, and their ordination. Well, I take it as a point beyond controversy that people sometimes have difficulty honoring those who serve in leadership positions and those who rule over them. We know this to be true in the realm of politics, but it is also of no small concern in the church. So let me be blunt Christians are under orders, not only from the apostle but from the Lord of the church himself to honor their elders, to treat them with respect. And in the case of those who have as their principal task and calling the preaching and teaching of the word of God to pay them adequately, if not generously, for the labor that they perform on behalf of the church. Look again at verse 17. Let the elders, it is presbyters, presbyteroi, the plural, who rule or manage or direct the affairs of the church and who do so well, the word could be translated rightly or even nobly, be counted worthy of double honor especially those, or it could be translated, namely those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, from these words, it appears clear that Paul has in mind not the lay elder, as we might call him, or the ruling elder, as we might call him in a Presbyterian church, but the elder whose life calling and occupation is to preach and teach the Word of God and to administer the sacraments. That is, he has in mind the minister of the Word, the preacher, the pastor, the teaching elder, as we may call him. And the fact further that, quote, double honor here means not merely a show of respect, but is a reference to his pay, becomes quite clear from what follows by way of further elaboration in verse 18. Now, that is to say, it was entirely appropriate in the view of the apostle for the minister of the gospel to make his living, uh, as it were, from his ministry to the church. Uh, It was true in the Old Testament as well that the priesthood or the ministry of the word and of worship was a man's life work. In Second Chronicles one four, we read that the priests were supported by the offerings of the people, quote, so that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. Paul develops this principle even more fully in his discussion of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to, in a few moments, turn there with you as we will see. Well, verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. This is a verse, as you can imagine, dear to every pastor's heart. But its importance lies not only in the point being made at the moment that churches should support their pastors financially, but somewhere else as well, that Paul should cite a piece of Old Testament case law as still in force in the new epoch of the new covenant. It tells you something, does it not, about the Old Testament and its binding character, according to the apostle. And actually, this happens quite a number of times in the New Testament, and it is proof, as if proof were needed That the law of God, even its details, was not canceled when the church moved into into the new epoch established by Christ and the apostles. Now, to be sure, we must say there were many changes of form. We call them changes of administration, or that the covenants are differently administered throughout the different epochs. But the principles, the principles, enshrined in these laws are eternal they are rooted in the nature of god and so paul can quote freely and without explanation from the old testament here from deuteronomy 25 4 you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain look there later if you have time, it's a very interesting verse. It's a kind of standalone verse and a standalone case. And it comes in the midst of a number of Old Testament case laws pertaining to human interactions with one another and personal injury and so on. And there's Deuteronomy 25:4, this thing about the muzzling of an ox who treads out the grain. It may sound very strange to you at first, but it's really quite simple. Uh, Don't muzzle the ox, and you know, children, what that means, right? To put something over the mouth of an animal that prevents it, well, you might think of a dog from, from biting or from barking, but to muzzle an ox would be to prevent it from eating and to prevent it, therefore, from enjoying some of the fruit of his labor while he is at work in the field. To put it positively, let him benefit from his work, the ox. Let him receive and don't prevent him the good things from the work that he does. If an ox wears a muzzle during the process of tramping the grain on the threshing floor, then it cannot eat the grain And the Lord says through Moses, this is wrong. Speaking of the animal now, don't do that. And virtually all interpreters have recognized the upshot to this. If an ox is without muzzle, then it can partake of the fruit of its own labor. And this is regarded as a good thing. Now, here's what's fascinating. The Old Testament never applies that verse or that principle to the work of ministers. But that is exactly what Paul does. Not once, but twice. Both here in 1 Timothy 5:18 and also in 1 Corinthians 9:9 9, 9 through 11. So obviously this was a very important principle to Paul. One that he knew from the Old Testament, because he was an expert in it, may have had the entire law memorized. And one that he could, believed could be rightly applied to the work of ministers and to the principle of their pay. So hold the place at First Timothy and turn back with me to First Corinthians 9. And like I said a moment ago, this is a much more complete and full development uh, where Paul goes into greater detail uh, on the question of ministers' pay for the work of the gospel, but we'll only look briefly at it tonight. Uh, he does say earlier in the chapter that an apostle even, a minister of the gospel, is free, for example, uh, to take a believing wife and also to receive pay from his work as a minister. But look at 1 Corinthians nine nine. For it is written in the law of Moses. So here it is again, the other place it's quoted in the New Testament. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Again, the context is quite the same. It's a question of the minister's remuneration for the gospel work. Look at this question. Is it oxen God is concerned about? or does he say it all together for our sakes isn't that stunning paul, paul is giving remarkable interpretation and commentary now on this somewhat uh, vague and difficult old testament verse saying in effect when the lord said that it is not good to muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain He was speaking there of something more than oxen. Something or someone more important than oxen. It wasn't oxen merely that God is concerned about. It was for our sakes he said that. For our sakes that it was written, listen, that he who plows, now speaking about the ministry of the gospel, should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. Then skip down to verse 14. "Even so, the Lord has commanded. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel." Now back to 1 Timothy 5:18. The second citation. If you have one of those Bibles, I have one in front of me now that has red letters, you may have red letters there. It's strange, isn't it? It's not the gospel, one of the gospels. It's an epistle. But there it is. Uh, And that is actually, the laborer is worthy of his wages, a statement of the Lord Jesus from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, on the occasion when he was sending out his disciples or sending out the apostles, and among the things that he told them was not to bring their money bags, but to be supported and to receive food and drink and even shelter from those to whom they ministered. And of that, our Lord Himself says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. It's something, isn't it, that Paul knows this saying of Jesus some indication that the Lord's teaching as we have it in the Gospels was well known and was circulating already by the time Paul wrote his letter to Timothy, whether or not the complete Gospel of Luke was already in circulation by then. So Paul quotes both the Old Testament, gives a remarkable explanation of that in 1 Corinthians 9, And he quotes also the words of our Lord to support the principle that those who preach the gospel are entitled to live from the gospel. Now, there is, of course, as there always is, a balance that must be maintained. We have already learned in this same epistle that an elder is not to be a lover of money. Paul said that in chapter 3, verse 3. But the work of the ministry of the word is important, and it demands a man who does it conscientiously. So he is to be paid as his due. Christians have often fretted about this. They have often in churches paid pastors very poorly and intentionally so, And the thinking is this, a man who is getting paid for such holy work will have divided motives if he is paid generously. And churches as a result in history and today have refused to pay ministers adequately to prove that ministers are doing it for the right reasons and not for money. Isn't that interesting considering what Paul says here? and in 1 Corinthians. Some groups have, in part for this reason, declined to have full-time ministers, have left the preaching and the teaching to laymen, usually with predictable results. But we may have, and we must be concerned with the problem on the other end. We may so professionalize the ministry that young men are tempted to enter it because it is a respected and well-paid profession, in some cases better paid than other ones. And so often in the Bible, we need to attend to both principles. To chapter 3, verse 3, that a minister not be a lover of money, and to chapter 5, verse 17, that he be counted worthy of double honor. I came across a story. uh, Three small boys were bragging about their dads, The first boy said, uh, my dad writes a few short lines on paper, calls it a poem, sends it away, and gets $25 for it. Well, my dad, said the second boy, makes dots on paper, calls it a song, uh, sends it away, and gets $100 for it. That's nothing, declared the third boy. My dad writes a sermon on sheets of paper, gets up in the pulpit and gives it and it takes four men to bring in the money <clears throat> I am I am grateful I am sincerely grateful that I can preach this sermon without any hidden motives so far as I can discern my own heart. My needs are well supplied and the needs of my family. This church has been very generous. Uh, I am content, truly so. I do not preach this sermon in any way to ask for more money, though you can imagine, can't you, a pastor preaching a sermon like this one in a very different situation and therefore with a very different spirit and with very different needs. But for this, I am truly grateful. Uh, Money is never easy to talk about. Uh, Many people have the notion that the church is always pleading uh, for money. Uh, But if you've come to this church for any length of time, you know that we do not uh, emphasize uh, money. My method is to preach consecutively through a portion of Scripture. If money is in the text, I come to, I preach on it. But if anything, we probably underemphasize it. But I do believe that God's people need to know what God's word says about money, and it has much to say. I believe you need to be informed then as you respond to the Lordship of Christ. He will enable you to be good stewards of the money He has entrusted to you. And of course, it's an especially ticklish past- uh, passage. Uh, To preach because it deals with the subject not just of money but of a pastor's salary, and I'm a pastor. And as someone wrote, I resemble uh, these remarks. So, anytime a pastor talks about money, especially as it relates to pay, uh, some are surely going to think he's crossing a line that he shouldn't cross. Uh, I'm not preaching on this text because it needs to be applied in my case. I'm teaching on it because it's a part of God's Word, and we all need to understand and obey God's Word. I can say with Paul, Philippians 4.18, I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. So take these words and think of them, yes, in our own context, but also in the context of the church as a whole. Paul is saying that churches should make sure that pastors who work hard in leading and feeding are highly respected and adequately, if not generously paid, in a manner consistent with the high calling of preaching the word of God. One may say amen to that, I believe that, but at the same time, he or she may not act or live accordingly. We've all known of people, I assume you've experienced this, who refuse to pay for meals, for example, whenever they go out to eat in a group, they always are happy to let someone else pick up the check. They consistently eat, but they never pay. Well, it is a bit crass, admittedly, but that's what it's like for those who are members of the church, but never give to its work. They reap the benefits of the church, and they receive the ministry of the word, but they refuse to give to support it. I don't need to tell you that if that was the attitude of everyone, the church would essentially cease to function and churches would close their doors and could not call pastors. So there are responsibilities for the members, quite clearly. Paul is addressing that. But we must be balanced here. There are, of course, certain things that must be said about the pastors. There are responsibilities, too, that he lays out for them. There is a deportment of the pastor that is called for. We've already said that in chapter 3, verse 3, that he should not be a lover of money. He should not be greedy. Money should not be his motivation for being in the ministry. And it must also be said that the minister, verse 17, is the one who, notice the word, labors in the word and doctrine. A word study of that word indicates that it has in mind diligence and even strenuous work. So if we're going to lay the responsibility upon the members to financially support the pastor, we're also going to insist that the pastor be free from the love of money, that he be diligent, that he take his task as a pastor quite seriously seriously. If that is indeed his life calling, if he's to make his living from the gospel, Paul will also say that he must be a faithful, diligent preacher of the gospel. Strange as it is to many, the pastor will nevertheless spend much of his time reading, getting paid to read, getting paid to study, and to meditate on scripture And yes, to pray. And to some, it doesn't sound like work, but it's a necessary part of pastoral work. And we notice, too, that there are certain duties that are made quite clear. The elder pastor rules. Now, many are very uncomfortable with that word. It sounds undemocratic, un-American. I don't want to be ruled by anyone. Paul says in verse 17 there is a ruling, governing element to pastoral leadership that is not to be denied. The elder pastor exercises oversight, practice spiritual discipline or leadership, discipline and correction as necessary in the church. So he rules, he governs, he leads, he gives oversight. And he also feeds. He feeds the flock. He feeds the flock of God, the good food of the word of God. He labors, the text says, in word and doctrine or word and teaching, word and instruction. As important as every other function of the pastor is, he exercises authority primarily by the ministry of the word by teaching and preaching it and to bring it to apply to the hearts of God's people. Above all, he is a herald and a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ, announcing to God's people that God in Christ has been favorable to us and given us mercy that God in Christ saves and forgives and makes us new by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul will make it clear elsewhere, Christ is and must be the foundation and the message of Christ and of the cross, the central focus. And he'll say in 1 Corinthians, I determined to know nothing but Christ in him crucified. And elsewhere, woe to me if I should not preach the gospel." And so this is what it is to labor in the word. It is to labor in the gospel, in the good news of sins forgiven, heaven gained, life eternal, all by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So verse 17, the elder rules, the elder feeds. And Paul is saying, if God showed concern for the ox, that he be paid for his work, how much more, it's an argument you understand from the lesser to the greater, how much more does he care for those who labor in the gospel? They too have a right to receive a decent wage for their work. Charles Spurgeon once had the officers of a small country church ask him to recommend a pastor for them, but the salary they were prepared to pay was so small that he wrote back to them saying, The only individual I know who could exist on such a stipend is the angel Gabriel. Uh, He would need neither cash nor clothes, and he could come down from heaven every Sunday morning and preach and go back at night. So I advise you to invite him. Please remember, beloved congregation what I said I am amply supplied and content I'm not asking you to apply this message to me but I would ask you to apply it to yourself there's a principle that I appreciate Uh, I know nothing of the specific giving patterns of members of this congregation it is good that it is that way but I have been told that in the church some give every week and they give quite generously Uh, others give a little here and there and still others give nothing at all so let me ask you to ask yourself is my giving to this church pleasing to the Lord Let me suggest to you that giving 10% is not the New Testament standard. That's the bottom. That's the starting point. And neither is it biblical to view 10% as belonging to God and 90% as yours to spend as you please. The biblical teaching is different from that. It is that God owns it all and that we are merely managers for him and we are to give generously as he has prospered us. Shall we pray? Father, you have been extraordinarily good to us. Yes, we are a small congregation of humble servants of the Lord, but you have changed our hearts. You have worked in us in ways that we could have never imagined to turn us from selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed sinners into saints who, by your grace, love the Lord our God and long to see the work of Christ flourish in this world. Let the gospel go forth in power and glory, that Jesus be worshipped by all peoples. I thank you for a congregation, O Lord, who love you, who love your word, who desire a minister who will preach it faithfully. And may it ever be so of this church. May they never tolerate uh, erroneous preaching from the pulpit of this congregation. And keep our hearts and our teaching and our preaching pure, O Lord. Thank you for the generosity of this congregation to amply support the pastor and his family. We love you and we thank you and pray that you would work even more in our hearts to make us more and more like Jesus, that we might turn away from the things of this world and lift our eyes heavenward and lift our eyes to where Christ is in heaven at God's right hand instead of putting our eyes and our hearts on the things below. We love you and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.